every man but one was put to the sword. The most atrocious sort of cruelty occurred, recorded the chronicler Bernardo Ruccellai. Babies ripped from the breasts of their parents and taken into slavery, parents killed under the eyes of their sons, wretched mothers dragged from the last embrace of their children, with silent sadness in the useless wait to be able to welcome the last breath. Nuns terrorized and chased from their sanctuaries and slaughtered before their venerated saints. This 11th century fortress of Monte San Giovanni, sometimes summer home to Pope Adrian IV, retreat for the poet Vittoria Colonna and prison for St. Thomas of Aquinas, was battered into submission by French guns inside less than eight hours, one day in 1495. The images, if not the events, are familiar in the world today as we look at the horrors unleashed by Hamas's attack on Israel and the bombings that have followed. The fall of Monte San Giovanni marked the spectacular rise of gunpowder warfare in Europe. From the middle of the Age of Enlightenment, the new technology enabled the calculated use of large-scale terror against civilians and embedded itself in warfare for centuries to come. As the world contemplates the ruinous failure of international institutions to temper the killing in Gaza, a United Nations Security Council vote failed last weekend because of a veto by the United States, one thing is clear. The foundational legal principles that govern modern warfare, centered around the protection of civilians, are spectacularly failing. Antonio Guterres, the United Nations Secretary General, says the scale of civilian deaths in Gaza is unparalleled and unprecedented. Those are big words. To the philosopher of Europe's gunpowder wars, a certain Niccolo Machiavelli, whom you may have heard of, this would not have been a surprise. Two world wars, and the savage Cold War carnage which followed them have not civilized war because the only restraints on nation-states have been their means and those of their adversaries. But Machiavelli might have also counseled Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu not to be too eager in his grasp of total victory. Triumph, he would have counseled, can be almost as dangerous as defeat. For Machiavelli's contemporaries, it was clear that gunpowder marked the coming of a new kind of war. Florentine aristocrat Francesco Guicciardini recorded this extraordinary lament to the languid, less lethal era of war practiced before 1495. When war did break out, he claimed, the sides were so evenly balanced, the methods of warfare so slow, and the artillery so inefficient, that it took nearly a whole summer to take a castle. Wars were very long and battles ended with few or no deaths. The French invasion, like a sudden storm, turned everything topsy-turvy. Like our own times, Renaissance armies were bound by codes of war. Following the work of the theologian Augustine of Hippo, the church had an ideological framework for what it called just wars, 
involving authority and moral cause. French and Italian soldiers were alike pardoned in advance by the church for the sins they would commit and took vows committing themselves to the protection of women and other innocents. Laws in the medieval period recognized four distinct levels of conflict, ranging from the state of truce to fighting where it was legitimate to wound or kill adversaries but not burn property. The highest of these mortal combat permitted indiscriminate slaughter and loot and was sometimes signaled by carrying a red flag into battle. 13th century medieval legal texts like De Truga et Pace sought to address this kind of slaughter, providing explicit protections to women as well as to clerics, monks, friars, pilgrims, travellers, merchants and peasants, James Johnson has recorded. For all the injunctions though, Enlightenment Italy remained an extraordinarily dangerous place for civilians caught up in wars. There are frequent accounts in chronicles of women raped in their homes and nuns assaulted in convents. Guicciardini reported that victims were sold in Rome, some to Italians themselves, as slaves. The use of atrocity was not accidental. It proved to cities the certain consequences of resisting an invading army and weakened the will of defenders. To soldiers themselves, it's possible that this orgiastic violence offered some form of psychological relief from the trauma uh, of warfare that was becoming ever more impersonal, brutal and squalid. As a diplomat of the Florentine Republic between 1498 and 1512, the philosopher Niccolo Machiavelli found himself drawn into a complex maze of negotiations to defend his republic involving France, Germany and the papacy. Like his friend Guicciardani, Machiavelli found himself succumbing to the notion that war had been less savage before the French invasions across the mountains. The philosopher, however, also asked searching questions about just why interstate conflict had become as unrestrained as it had. To Machiavelli, it appeared that conventional thinking stood the truth on its head. In fact, war was the natural state of things, he argued, not peace. Even in times where armies were not besieging cities, Machiavelli noted bleakly in his book Tercets on Ambition, human nature was driven by furies called avarice and ambition with their attendant companions envy, sloth, hatred, cruelty, pride and deceit. For the philosopher, the answer lay in the development of nation-states which invested in their security so as to deter these furies from unleashing war. Long periods of peace, he argued, softened republics and made them unfit to resist the snares of their opponents. To this problem, Machiavelli added religion. The power of divine cults, he argued, undermined the need to regulate states through systems of law, in turn defended by the use of coercive force. Even though Italy's republics used mercenary forces, Machiavelli went on, enabling a class of soldiers who survived by sacking and looting the enemy, this undermined the state. It created parallel centres of power and forced princes to excessively tax the population 
to maintain these mercenary forces. This is not to suggest that Machiavelli thought the indiscriminate use of coercion would secure the state. The case of Volterra, which rebelled over revenues from its alum mines, makes clear he understood the dangers of acquiring states by force. Had Florence received Volterra by negotiated accord, Machiavelli wrote, I quote, you would have had advantage and security from it, but since you have to hold it by force, in adverse times it will bring you weakness and trouble, and in peaceful times loss and expense. Ever since the end of the Second World War, millions of people have died in conditions regulated by the international humanitarian law system. The system is more sophisticated, but the reality isn't. The police actions, interventions and wars of self-defense waged under these conditions since 1945 have been justified by a sense of moral superiority and arguments which would have been familiar to medieval clerics. The famous historian Stephen Bowd has argued in a superb book on the savagery of the Renaissance wars. The war in Gaza today, coming on the back of slaughters in Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, so many other places, is a repudiation of the hopeful pieties of international institutions and advocates of humanitarian regulation of the use of force. This is precisely what Niccolo Machiavelli would have anticipated. Likely, however, the great thinker of war would also have held out some words of caution. The overwhelming Israeli military victories up to 1973, he would have pointed out, made the country's dependence on power excessive. Enemies learned from warfare too. Lebanon's Hezbollah drew Israel into a trap in 1982, and the country never quite found a means to address popular uprisings in Palestine, which erupted in the West Bank and Gaza. Israel deluded itself it could deter Hamas attacks, even in the face of compelling evidence that force alone wasn't working. The second important lesson Machiavelli would have pointed out is that war-making is not the end of a nation-state. As he noted, war-making enriches enclaves of society, forces severe taxation on citizens and thus ultimately undermines the authority and power of the state. The point of force is to deter, not to punish. Like Florence on the eve of the gunpowder wars, the world is entering an age of profound uncertainty, driven by changes in the influence of great powers and new technologies of killing. The search for decisive victories must give way to the imperfect pause, the tenuous truce and the treacherous treaty. I'm Praveen Swami and I'm contributing editor at theprint.com.